Take two. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Armchair Producers, episode 190. Good, sweet Jesus. I am one of your hosts, George Tarrant, alongside the man, the myth, the non-fascist, Mr. Travis Croft. He has nothing to do with the railroads. Nor do I control the flow of commerce, it should be noted. <laughs> oh, it's like life is uh, sticking it in and breaking it out forever, breaking it off for everybody at the moment, so... I am yeah. not alone on that front, but uh, we are here, we're back, we have not given up yet. Nope, we we are the channel that God cannot quit. <laughs> He's tried, I mean, the weather, the weather, whenever I try and visit uh, George up in the hills has always been, yep. uh, George, God's Notor- made his point, really. Yeah, not, not notoriously bad weather. Now, we... Have got a show for you today, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking about this week's chain movie, which was my choice, following on from Bob Roberts last time with Lincoln, Steven Spielberg's uh, 2012 movie, I believe it was. Um, We have got the newer release of Sympathy for the Devil with Joel Kinnaman and Nicolas Cage. And this time so many years ago, we visit 1993's Christopher Lambert sci-fi fortress. So let's get straight into it, shall we? Lincoln. Lincoln is the Daniel Day-Lewis starring as the honest Abe um, for a long gestating Lincoln biopic story that Steven Spielberg's wanted to put out. And it's got one hell of a cast. It's almost That's putting it lightly, I think, to say it's got one. It's got the cast. Yeah, it, it's 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 putting kind of like the likes of Oppenheimer to shame for it. It's like, oh yeah, I recognize that person in a momentary cameo that has gone on to win an Oscar or whatever. <laughs> um but yeah, so for those who don't know what Lincoln is. You kind of need to buff up on a little bit of your um, American Civil War history to be able to truly understand this film on any deep level, because this is the American Civil War continuing to rage. America's presidential struggle, uh, President Abraham Lincoln struggles with continuing carnage on the battlefield as he fights with many inside his own cabinet on the decision to emancipate the slaves. Turning point in history, to put it And, of course, it's famous, as you mentioned, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by his common, often collaborator these days, Tony Kushner, Mm -hmm. and Doris Kearns Goodwin gets a writing nod. She wrote the book this was very loosely Mm -hmm. based on. Tony Kushner, of course, was nominated for an Academy Award earlier in the year for Meet the Free... Was it Meeting the Freedmen's? The Spielberg's latest film. Yes, that's right. Um, so his usual behind-the-camera crew for now for Spielberg. Yep. Um, it been something he'd been working on the idea for for a long time. And the initial casting choice was an interesting one. Mm. It was going to be Irish actor Liam Neeson as, uh, as Abraham Lincoln initially um, before we uh, ended up with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. who initially didn't want to do it. Interesting, interesting. But there you go, that, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the titular character is Daniel Day-Lewis, one of the most well-regarded actors of our generation, shall we say, apart from sometimes it goes a little too far with, uh, like, what, what was that uh, 
that Paul Tom, uh, Paul W S Anderson movie about the 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 thread needle or something. Phantom like, Fred. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You um, have no idea how close you came to that being this week's movie. Ooh. I haven't seen it, but apparently it's pretty good. I've heard that it's a slog. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think it's, yes, uh, the Daniel Day Lewis movie. So you know. Um, we have got as Mary Lincoln. We've got the Sally Field of it all. We have got Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing one of the sons of Abraham Lincoln, Robert Lincoln, David Strathairn, James Spader, Hal Holbrook, Tommy Lee Jones, John Hawke, Bruce McGill, Jackie L. Haley, Tim Blake Nelson. We have got Lee Pace in quite a substantial role, Jared Harris. Um, and those are just off the very top. You can keep going down the list and suddenly you'll go, oh, Everyone who's anyone in 2012 was in this movie. We talked off air before we started. And I apologize to my co-host, ladies and gentlemen. I truly did because I didn't realize this was such a long movie of two and a half hours. And it makes you feel those two and a half hours because this is very much a talkie. And this is about a man who likes to talk. So you are privy to a multitude of delightful, charming stories from Abraham Lincoln to the point where one of the characters even gets pissy and shouts and storms off because it's not another one of your blasted stories. And this is a movie that takes its time, but in my opinion, doesn't actually tell much of a story. It just tells you about the time. Good performances overall, if safe in their representations of some iconic characters. But unless you know a good amount about this, of who these people are, they don't really mention themselves by name too much, uh, or they don't really refer to each other too well. And it's very courtroom dramery. It's talky. I'll pay that much. Yeah. Um, oh. I um, didn't find myself as bored as I thought I might have been when I was like, uh, two and a half hours of Americans jerking off over their president. Um, <laughs> they're, like, that didn't sound attractive to me. And I think that was probably why I'd never seen it before now. Same. Uh, uh, the same reason, I mean, I didn't like Hamilton very much. Like, mm. I mean, I don't like musicals a great deal. So that kind of fits, but like, Everyone else is like, oh my god, it's such a wonderful show, and you're like, uh, but it's basically again three hours of him jerking off about how great America is, and you kind of look over the pond now, our pond, you know, Pacific, and go, it's not looking good, guys. Yeah. Um, it's not looking good. So I, I found that difficult to swallow with um with Hamilton, and I was afraid that was what Lincoln was going to be. Yeah. And there were moments of, like, oh, hero worship of, like, Lincoln and stuff like that, and him doing cool shit. Um, I can't specifically recall any off the top of my head, because it was two weeks ago. I watched this now. <laughs> That's what happens when we get the later week. I forget things! Um, but they were, uh, they were less than I were for, thought they were going to be. Mm. Uh, I was, it was, it was not as much of that kind of you know, hero I, worship, I, but as I thought it was going to be, not as much jerking off about how great he was. Mm. What I did find a little cloying was 
the performance. I mean, he did a fantastic job. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is worth a price of admission here for me alone in the sense that he disappears into his characters. Um, like, I, yeah, whatever one that comes to mind is Bill the Butcher um, in mm. The Gangs of New York where he, he had to invent that accent because no one knew, knew what the accent was like then. But, like, can, I'm, I've been known on the show to say, criticize uh, Leo DiCaprio in a sense. I don't think he's that great of an actor. He's a good actor, but I don't ever. I think he very rarely disappears into a role. You mm. never forget you're watching Leo DiCaprio playing a cowboy or you know a Wall Street broker or whatever. He's just Leo DiCaprio doing Leo DiCaprio things. Yeah. Um, unless you talk about something like, oh, for me, I know it's off the topic, but you know the last Tarantino film, I thought he did probably one of the better performances I've seen from him. And I kind of for the first time ever forgot I was watching him. And this is what mm. Daniel Day Lewis brings to this role in it he just disappears into it but mm. at the same time there i don't know if these were his choices of a director's but or exactly exactly how lincoln was it was like well i'm just a small town country lawyer and uh you know my country lawyer ways in the big city here and you know mm. like you know them telling you well i met a man once with a mule with a spinning wheel and you know like <laughs> And it was just like, and I, I enjoyed the characters in the film. Were like, oh, not this shit again. He's gonna tell the story. Yeah. Um, and like maybe that's how he was. Like, I mean, I assume they did some pretty serious research into the character before they did it. You know, like they had the, the you know, historical accuracy wasn't top of mind in a lot of points. Mm. Uh, I think, but you know, I assume they tried to, you know, encapsulate the character as he was remembered in you know, books and stuff like that. And mm. but. I found that kind of like I always thought of the um the space chicken lawyer from uh, Futurama. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's true though. It's like I'm just a half a chicken. <laughs> but, but, uh, it's just it was, and I kind of kind of struggled to take it seriously. Is it kind of it was just kind of silly. Um, that that is part of the problem as well. I mean, how often have there been parodies? of abraham lincoln in so many things like there's there's a, a bit in, in again in futurama where one of the robots in the uh, robot insane asylums i was born in 200 log cabins it's, it's just it, it, it's one of those roles that you just kind of go okay i've seen this a million times and the parodies it, it, it's the godfather effect i suppose or I mean, um, was it Adolf uh, Linklater or whatever it was in um in Rick and Morty where he yeah uh, Rick merges um DNA from Abraham Lincoln and Hitler and you know it's <laughs> um so I mean, the parody side of things maybe is a little bit much but yeah um I in a lot of ways this followed I like the, the formula I like for a biopic though like. We've talked about it ad nauseum. Whenever we talk about a pick, we mention Jobs, uh, yeah. the Steve Jobs film, uh, the Sorkin one, not the uh, Ashton Kutcher one. Uh -huh. um, and it, they picked those particular moments of just Steve Jobs' life. Rather than trying to tell from yeah. start to finish, we picked yeah. an interesting moment, like Oppenheimer did, really. And yeah. it didn't tell all of Oppenheimer's life. Lot. It picked crucial moments and went through that kind of told you know, where he came from, why he was famous and what happened to him. Mm. And I guess in this show, they tried to do the same thing in the sense that we have not tried to tell the whole story of Lincoln. It's not him as a boy or anything. We're telling 
the story of how he passed the 13th Amendment, um, yeah. uh, which is, uh, I guess, kind of an interesting story. But um, it basically turns into a movie about political machinations yeah. um, in the middle of a civil war. Um, so, it's I mean, not no, really no. much in the way of the war depicted, which I think maybe some people might have anticipated there being because of Spielberg's success with um, Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List, where he did depict more of that on boots on the ground kind of violence this was away from the front lines and we saw the ramifications of it and the, the depiction the, the the little depictions of the front lines of the civil war looked brutal they did they really did there was there was elements like the, there's the sequence right near the start i think it is where someone's having, having a boot put in their face into the mud and the water and it just keeps on going it's like holy shit that's violent like um, the d-day landings and stuff it it was harrowing but so much of it was kind of taken away there there's this we, we painted this beautiful background and then it goes into courtroom drama it's like okay um why because you're not really showing i i felt like they th throughout the the stages it never really i never felt like it it was keeping lincoln up at night keeping the war having the war still going and even when um robert his son played by um okay. uh gordon yeah, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Um, even then, it was sort of like, okay, this feels cliched. That sort of like, I don't want my son going off and dying. This, I'm going to blame you. It was sort of like, okay, this is an interesting split of the story that they're telling. I, I didn't quite understand why, and I felt um, like it slowed it down. How, how, is in the sense you didn't feel authentic? You think those kind of I, yeah, um, I felt like a lot. Sally Field, I love as an actress generally, but I felt like her portrayal in this was so fucking overdramatic, cliche, and I, I didn't feel like that married up that performance married up with Daniel Day Lewis's or this the side elements that they were showing of the front lines like the, it, it it felt disjointed of spielberg sat wanting to show how vicious and violent and in so many ways this american civil war being arguably more violent than world war ii which he so successfully depicted but he wasn't telling that story he wasn't telling a frontline story he was telling a story about a general who you know commander-in-chief who didn't seem to fucking care beyond the political side of it and i get the point of his stance on that of we need to get through this because it's not just for now it's for the future very good point but it it just didn't gel as a as a holistic story for me i am um... I'm not sure I can appreciate that. I, I felt like it came together reasonably well. I can see how you might find it a bit talky. Mm. That's certainly true. 
Um, uh, and I don't know that there was a lot of intrigue there because yeah, we know it got passed, right? So the Thirtieth Amendment's a thing. So <laughs> well, you know, um, South won. <laughs> Um, that would have been an interesting, much more interesting uh, twist, wouldn't it? Uh, would I don't, I don't remember the staff winning, but, you know, like maybe that was just the media, the mainstream media, wants you to believe they lost. And, you know, um, uh, I, it didn't bother me quite so much that I didn't know who everybody was. I kind of figured it out. Like, I am no means a – people might watch the show a lot, might know the history buff as well. But like in Civil War is not exactly my area of expertise. Mm. I did watch the Ken Burns documentary back in the early 2000s on the Civil War. If you are mm. interested in learning more about the Civil War itself, I'd recommend that. Um, but I don't remember the names and faces. Obviously, we get Lincoln, and that was about it, really. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I guess I just kind of figured it out. Like, I mean, they, they told me, they gave me enough information to figure out that Tommy Lee Jones was who um, was fantastic in this, by the way. Great. Um, wonderful great. performance from Tommy Lee Jones, but he was an ab a full abolitionist, um, yeah. you know, who didn't, who was kind of to, I guess, from our perspective, to the left of Lincoln. Yeah. And we had Lee Pace and his crew who were vehemently anti-abolitionist. It was, you know, pro-slaver states, and they were on what we considered the right of, of, of Lincoln. And, you know, that, di that dynamic, I just... You know, you had uh, James Spader, who was also fantastic in this, by the way. Yes. Um, and he was basically he's Lincoln's uh, bag man, really. He was going oh. around and buying votes for his um, constitutional amendment. At least they were open about it back then. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I didn't, um, I didn't struggle quite so much with figuring out who was who. I didn't need to know who Tommy Lee Jones's character was necessarily to know what his motivations were um, mm. and, you know, why he was doing what he was doing. I mean, I thought it was fascinating the scene where he's sort of forced to take a position contrary to the one he actually has about whether or not he wants to give uh, mm. African-Americans the right to vote or it's just a legal equality that he's been arguing for and that, that political tactic that he has to make to stay, stand up and say that, no, 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 I don't want them to give him a vote when he absolutely does. Just in order to keep, you know, uh, you know, to to win this minor political battle, mm. um, in the sense that he knew was another battle that would help win the, the greater war that he wanted to be a, he wanted to win. Mm. Um, so I mean, but uh, being a, also a fan of politics and a fan of history, maybe that kind of thing's more in my wheelhouse than a lot of other people. So it it, it didn't bother me quite so much, but that, that about the talkiness, um, the one performance that really didn't click for me was like you was Sally Field. Mm. Uh, I felt like she was in a different film. Mm. I also felt like, I mean, this is going to sound horrible. I felt like she was way too old. Um, if you read the trivia on IMDb, apparently she was 10 years older than mm. Daniel Day-Lewis, and she was 20 years older than um, the actual Mrs. Lincoln. Um, uh, I, so I obviously mm. didn't know that before the film yeah. came, but I just felt like she didn't, she looks older than him. She yeah. seems older than him. I just, not just, I mean, if that was the way the relationship really was, then that, that makes sense, but it wasn't. Mm. So I just didn't, and you sort of said she was this melodramatic role, which I understand she was quite a melodramatic person. Her son had mm. her um, uh, committed to an asylum later in her life. Mm. Um, so uh, maybe, I don't, that was maybe a choice, but I, I 
really struggled with her. I think my interest level in the film dropped every time she was yeah. on screen. I thought she was just possibly completely out of place amongst the rest of his cast. Mm. I, I agree. I agree. I, I feel like there was a lot of it extra that maybe is historically accurate to have these people in the, in the picture, so to speak. Um, but I feel like it really neutered the actual story because this is supposed to be, you know, this is a movie called Lincoln. And so you'd think that it's a, uh, from Lincoln's point of view, but he's not actually in it as much as you'd assume for someone whose name is on the movie. It will be like John Wick starring anyone but Keanu Reeves as everyone else other than John Wick. It's, it's like, okay, that's, that's not what I was expecting. And the individual scenes were, were quite interesting, particularly um, the scene towards the, the end of the film where he's having those negotiations with uh, Tim Blake Nelson's uh, Confederate uh, vice president, I suppose. And just the, the debate there, Tim Blake Nelson is, is it Tim Blake Nelson? I think it's Tim Blake Nelson. Isn't it? I think he's in this. Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson as, uh, uh, no, not, uh, not, I'm thinking of Jackie L. Haley. Alexander Stevens, he's very good at playing snide and bleh. But again, whilst it was nice to have someone who was being presented as an out-and-out -out villain, um, probably wasn't actually the case. And it again, it felt out of place with the ebbing and flowing and political give and take that so much more of the movie was being presented as. And it just and, and the, here's the other interesting thing for me that was that kind of tangled me at the last the last kind of part of the movie, where um, he's sitting there. Lincoln is sitting down with Ulysses S. Grant, and Grant says, "You look about ten years older, and it's only been a year." And Lincoln says about how he's got a, a an age in his bones, and he like, talks about it, and the the way that they kind of exit stage right Lincoln in the movie, the conversations that he has and the, the little bits like leaving his gloves on the side and people just, and, and his uh, sort of like manservant just watching him leave and being pensive about it. It was like, was he expecting to die? Wait, is did, did he arrange to be shot? So that There's he, a conspiracy theory I haven't heard before. He, I mean, because there was there was a, a scene before about like whether or not he would be indicted for um, some, whether or not his actions were legal or not, which, again, was a fascinating debate and question to have. And the way that he talked about it himself was, was really interesting. But then it was like, wait, what is this him getting out of it's like securing his legacy by just ending it on his what? No, I, I didn't take it that way. I felt I, I, I did think it was a little overwrought because we yeah. all know what happened. We all know what happened to him. Yeah. You know, that's famous. So <laughs> he, um, so we all knew he was going to die and we all knew, well, again, I didn't realize it was so close to the end of a war, frankly, but hmm. then again, I should, but we're not American. So why should we know these things? Hmm. Um, but, uh, I, it was just a filmmaker for me foreshadowing what was coming and, you know, um, that that again, that was part of a hero worshipy kind of vibe mm -hmm. that kind of started to bother me again at the end. Mm. Um, 
it, it didn't. It, it was just Spielberg being his usual, not particularly subtle self. Yeah, there were there were two particular instances where Spielberg came out, and there was that um, hero worship, melancholia kind of element at the end, and the just sudden out of the blue bit of comedy. He always just injects this dumb bit of comedy somewhere, and it's a bit, and it it's it's funny incidentally but it just doesn't fit in the rest of the movie where uh, james spader is trying to have a conversation and the the, the guy's talking to just goes to shoot him and misses <laughs> and he just james spader is able to run back grab his papers and go back because the gun takes so long to load it's it was a honest and funny scenario but it, was, it doesn't fit anywhere else in the movie it's like okay it was like in minority report where um tom cruise is being chased and they barbecue some burgers with the jetpacks that they're doing they're like no just yeah I, I get that it, you you want it to be funny but pepper it through not just one random hot spot come on i think i played a lot of your scenes for laughs but i mean that's i enjoyed james spader's performance because it had kind of a slightly mm. chaotic humorous edge which is what spader does so beautifully well yeah um look i i i didn't I, I can see your point, and I wouldn't uh, criticize you for finding it, though, in the same way that I would criticize someone for finding uh, Oppenheimer boring, mm -hmm. because it wasn't. And if you found it boring, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and your feelings are incorrect. Um, so it does, I would say, though, you would need to have an interest mm. in American politics mm. and history, potentially the Civil War. Mm. If you have zero interest in any of those things, if that sounds like the, a really bad night out for you, then I would probably steer well clear of this. Um, mm. It's a reasonable explanation, well, explanation, exploration mm. of this character, yeah. who I assume was the way they said he was. I liked that they showed him being criticized. Mm -hmm. You know, the people around him really didn't like him or trust him. Mm. I like interesting to see that his they presented him as troubled and did, having these internal. Well, external debates with himself, with other people around, about the validity of his presidency and giving himself power. It was very nice to see that presented. Again, how accurate it is, don't know. But that idea of um, someone who's now held in the highest of possible esteems, at least in the United States, like he's the greatest president of all time. Mm. You know, uh, people have been studying him, everything's named after him, you know. Uh, and it's kind of kind of crazy to go back and and look at a film set contemporary with him and go. There are people who don't trust him. There are people who really don't like him. There are people who think he's dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that is a novel experience for someone who is so revered um, mm. as Lincoln now, and um, maybe gives you a, a second's worth of hope that the people we think are horrible, unreliable, and dangerous today maybe they're not so much. But I, I think they probably are. <laughs> that would be an interesting take on the Jesus Christ story from the Romans' point of view. <laughs> that would go down <laughs> well. I'm sure I'd love that. <laughs> terrorist. Um, Jesus Christ terrorist. Um, I'm not going to put my hand up to write or direct that one. Um, it, it was it was an interesting film. I, I think it was. I think it was a bad choice. This is a long way short of a worse choice we've had in recent months we 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 have to go pretty far to get close to that crown 
this is not a bad movie. It is a, I think in many ways, it is a singularly focused movie in, in a similar vein as Oppenheimer of, you know, the director writer having a very specific idea of how they're going to present this story and not really caring about whether or not it's kind of access all areas or open to all audiences. It's like, if you're you're not interested in, in Lincoln, don't go and see a movie called Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what you're going to get, right, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this just, for me, is a fascinating point of history. It was interesting political debate and seeing that. And I wish that we had more nuance and intri intrigue and genuine people, people willing to struggle um, with their political stance and their personal opinions in modern day rather than, hey, oh, okay, you gave me $100 million. Cool. Bye-bye, morals. <laughs> So um, it was it was refreshing in that regard, but it just wasn't a movie for me, which I'm not going to hold against it. No. Yeah. Um, uh, with that said, shall we pick for next week? Please do. You have the. Key. I had so it was I was paralyzed with choice. With there's, there's only one or two real options here. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> paralyzed. It was so many people in this movie that like have done lots of other interesting things mm. I, I initially like i said earlier i was thinking about the phantom fred and following um this the, the daniel day lewis mm -hmm. uh onion i've chosen not to i i actually gave it up to michelle should we, we, we should we go high in phantom fred or should we go low low oh. being i can't remember exactly how but we could have ended up watching mannequin from um with Kim Cattrall. You watched the sequel, I think. Um, I have while, but... watched Mannequin 1 and 2, and I have met one of the 12 writers for the Mannequin movie. <laughs> oh, it makes me wish I had chosen it now, but I didn't. <laughs> um, no, uh, we're going to follow. Great soundtrack. It, it's No, there's nothing wrong with Mannequin. I just thought it would be like, I thought, well, I'm going to have to watch it too. Um, <laughs> I thought I would go with a controversial choice. And I'm going to quick give it a context. We talked about this last time. As we get towards the end of the year, mm -hmm. one of the things we thought we might start to do is revisiting some of the more contentious films we've watched. Mm -hmm. And I mean contentious in stuff that we've disagreed on pretty strongly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're going to lead up to <laughs> Batman vs. Superman because I think that might have been the biggest disagreement I could recall us having. On a particular um, film, but this week's uh, chain film will be one I think you and I had different perspectives on, and we are going to follow a very young Adam Driver to Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Oh! Now I didn't like this film. I think I thought this film sucked, frankly, um, for the most part. But it is directed by one of George's favorite filmmakers, in Ryan Johnson, yes. and and I think it has taken. It has kind of been rehabilitated somewhat after it came out. If everyone was a bit like, oh, that wasn't very good. Um, to uh, After seeing what Abrams did with uh, the last <laughs> Skywalker or whatever, whatever yeah. piece of shit he made. It was just like you're like, oh, The Last Jedi was pretty bad. And you're like, oh, hold my beer. I can make something worse. <laughs> and he did. So. You know, with the benefit of six years now since this came out, 
Um, maybe it's worth me revisiting and was it as bad as I remember it? Mm-hmm. Who will come out with a changed point of view? Will it be Travis? Will it be me? And of course, George has a myriad of options out of his film. You know, Hamill, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Carrie Fisher, Oscar Isaac, Lupita Nyong'o, Andy Serkis, Donald Gleeson, Rosemary Tran, Benicio Del Toro, Frank Oz. <laughs> you know, he did a couple of films, you know. So I think you'll have no problem. Gwendolyn Christie, you know, everyone's yeah. in this. You'll have no trouble finding something interesting. I, I already have a couple of ideas, but we're... We shall see. Yeah, follow it. There's a little guy who wrote, is credited as a writer called George Lucas. I think he did a couple of other things. Not sure. You know, maybe that could be a way out, you know. I don't Jorge Lucas. Okay, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's, that's a bit, we're jumping into the middle of hmm. franchise here, but it's Star Wars, so, you know, it, 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 it should be fine. Yeah, I, I'm sure we can catch up. We're not, we're not jumping into um, Ahsoka. It's fine. <laughs> oh, God, uh, no. Uh, should we talk then? Should we go jump forward in time to something a little bit more contemporary? Mm-hmm. The uh, newish release uh, just came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. Sympathy for the Devil. Yes, absolutely. As George noted at the start, it stars Nicolas Cage and uh, Joel Kinnaman. Joel, of course, best known for Robocop reboot, Suicide Squad, the first one. Mm-hmm. He was in House of Cards. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Cage is a bit of a bit of a newcomer. You may not have heard of him yet. Uh, ah, <laughs> after, being forced, after being forced to drive a mysterious passenger at gunpoint, a man finds himself in a high stakes game of cat and mouse, where it comes clear that not everything is as it seems. Mm. It is directed by a gentleman named Yuval Adler, who has done nothing I've ever heard of before. Yep. So there's that. I think he's quite new. Yeah, writer is a gentleman named Luke Paradise. Again, not someone I've ever heard of. He has no other credits to his name currently, but a shit ton of stuff in development. So who knows where he might end up? Uh, We meet Joel Kinnaman, who is credited as the driver, Mm -hmm. as he is dropping off his pregnant wife at the hospital. Which isn't Uh, right. He's not dropping her off. She's already there. He's all very at the hospital. His wife's at hospital. Mm. As he's getting out of his car in the hospital car park, Nicholas Cage, credited as the passenger, mm-hmm. jumps into the back seat and after some to and fro, pulls a gun and says, Drive. Mm-hmm. Story now. Proceeds from there. Now I'm gonna put my hand up again. I saw this three weeks ago (laughs) so um my memory might be a little fuzzy on this to say that the trailer looks particularly intriguing Mm -hmm. um but what we end up with is not intriguing at all and this is a giant nicholas cage sized pile of shit according to me what did you make of it i don't think it was a pile of shit i think it was ended up being entirely by the numbers and giving so much, so much away far, far, far too early. The name of the movie, Sympathy for the Devil. We are immediately, instantly told by that title and by the presentation of Joel Kinnaman, the driver, 
just wanting to be there for his wife's baby's birth. We are being told to sympathize with him. Sympathy for the devil. Okay, we instantly, you know, he's going to be a fucking asshole. He's going to be a fucking asshole. He's going to have done something heinous. He's going to have done something bad. Nicolas Cage is on Nicolas Cage form. And he is obviously the wounded party, shall we say. He has a certain level of justification for what he's doing. But then even with the poster, Revenge is a hell of a ride. Again, it gives away that story is like, no, come on. You, you're not doing anything here to keep maintain the suspense of mistaken identity. You're not doing anything. This is a weird kind of, this, there's elements of um, Collateral by Michael Mann crossed with like the... Um, a bizarre heist movie or sort of like um, a cat and mouse kind of almost very, 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 very Alfred Hitchcock light character narrative where is it, 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 it's they're trying to keep it all in the in a moving car, which is a good concept to actually get this back and forth between characters. But one character is painting to the walls with extremes. The other person is giving nothing away. And at every opportunity that they get out of the car, they have bigger drama that's just entertaining schlock rather than trying to be informed, interesting storytelling through visual. It's just not. Nah. All right. So it's not a bad movie. It's just like... It, it doesn't do anything well. And it's every single element is like, okay. Yep. Anyone who didn't see the twists coming is dead. I um, think this film leans on one thing and one thing alone, and that is the stars. Yep. Um, Nicholas Cage has gone full Nicholas Cage. Yep. And I'm okay with that. Yep. Um, because uh, Joel Kinnaman is a very effective straight man, for want of a better term. Yep. He is plays the concerned um, father who feels he's been the uh, victim of mistaken identity. As you've noted, mm -hmm. the film basically tells you from the start that that's not the case anyway. But, you know, he plays it up for a while. So you can kind of suspend your disbelief long enough to go, okay, he's just a, you know... He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and those two guys work well together, I think. You know, yeah. those guys, there's great chemistry. I, I'd like to see them in a film with an actual script. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that would be intriguing to see. Um, but that's where the good things in this film end, is that those two guys' performances and their work together, mm -hmm. um, Nicolas Cage going full Nicolas Cage would, would have worked, if again, with the right script. Um, it just started to get a bit... Because he was doing it in a film that had no script and it was badly written and badly directed, it mm. started to just become a bit tiresome for me. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit weird. I'm saying he was good, but his good was not backed up by the rest of the, yeah. you know, the script of a director. And that, that kind of, in the end, wasn't enough to save it. The film it reminded me of most of all was History of Violence, the um, 
Viggo Mortensen film um, uh, yeah. 15 years ago yeah. where he's his family man in a small town all of a sudden. I think it's William Hurt yeah. turns up. And he won an Oscar for like playing for, in, for 10 minutes, I think. Yeah. Um, and he's banging a band of gangsters because they chase him down because he was a gangster in a previous life and had done bad things. And he was this, you know, he had to go full ultra violence on them. Yeah. Um, and that was basically the plot of his film. Collateral meets the history yeah. of violence. And you're like, wow, that's powerfully forgettable. Yeah. Um, the set pieces that look like they should have been, you know, uh, really kind of turning points in the film just kind of fizzle out. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 them in the car together just starts to go, it starts interestingly enough and then just goes nowhere. It's like they just run out of, well, what do we do with them now? I don't know. The, the, the police pull, police officer pulling them over is like, okay, this could be interesting. No, no, it's it's not interesting. He just kills him and they keep moving. And then we move on to the diner and you're like, okay, this could be an interesting scene. In the trailer, the diner scene kind of looked like it was going to be, you know, someone had taken the diner scene from Pulp Fiction and turned it up to 11. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I'm here for that, right? <laughs> you know? Um, but it just wasn't. It just, you know, it really just went nowhere. It just kind of meanders along and it's like, here's a cool-looking setting and two cool-looking actors doing cool-sounding things and stuff happens yeah and then it just the ending was as you said incredibly predictable Mm -hmm. really powerfully underwhelming to me like not just the fact that i knew it was coming i mean there's plenty of films we know where the end's coming right like every marvel film ever we've known where the end was coming um you know but you want some emotional payoff there along with the cool action the action wasn't even that cool there's no emotional payoff like uh, the fact that I'm just, do we bother putting the spoiler warning up? I, I'm not going to bother, but like the fact that you know the person who we're told is the devil from the title of a film, yep, ends up walking away, yep, kind of just it just it left me so empty, and I was so disappointed because it looked interesting. I'd read some convincing reviews around the place that said it was pretty decent mm-hmm. for a low budget film, and it just wasn't for me. I I am. If you're being a little bit more generous than me, for me, this was a stunning missed opportunity for a director who had somehow managed to get his hands on two very talented actors and mm-hmm. just didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. It, um, it, as you say that, it um, actually makes me think, yeah, this is a co- combination of one part collateral, two parts history of violence with just a splash of um, uh, the usual suspects. And the reveal of Kaiser Soze, but where that was done with excellent nuance and subtlety, this they, they told us far too early. And even when the devil appeared, shall we say, it was underwhelming. And the fact that he gets away with everything that has happened is like, okay. I don't care, which is not how you want to be. You want to feel something. You want to feel like, oh, good, he survived. Or, my God, he's really gotten away with it. The fucker. You know, a nice twist might have been, well, some more context would have been good. To start with, maybe if we'd had a scene at the start of a film explaining, because you're giving it away anyway, Mm. giving us some background on who 
Nicolas Cage was or why he might have been after Joel Kinnaman or what Joel, the fact that maybe even a, some foreshadowing that Joel Kinnaman wasn't exactly who he said he was or something like that. Or at the end of a film, if you wanted to make it a little bit, raise the stakes a little bit, you know, a nice lighter twist might have been a very cliche twist. I'll pay it in advance. But like the fact that, you know, he gets a call from his wife and Nicolas Cage has emailed her a cache of photos or videos or documents that prove it. Her husband is actually, you know, a murderer or a gangster or something. At least that would have been something to have, you know, kind of close the door on the film a little bit. That you now Joel Kinnaman, horrible person, does end up suffering somewhat. You know what I think they tried to do, but as I, as you were saying that, I don't know if it worked. We were told sympathy, sympathize with the devil. We're taking in that it would have been better if we had not followed Joel Kinnaman to start with. And we had actually just followed Nicolas Cage and we had followed Nicolas Cage, just turning up to the hospital, asking about this woman, finding out where she is. And then him just casually standing, waiting and then going in. And we are depicted as revenge is a hell of a drive, right? Yes, absolutely. And this guy is hunting the driver, Joel Kinnaman, he's, he's, you know, the leave it mysterious and dangerous that he's kind of watching this woman who's on the phone to Joel Kinnaman. like, oh, where are you? Why aren't you here yet? Blah, 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 blah. And he's watching her just silently. And then he's waiting and he gets into the car. So like, oh, this guy's fucked up. This guy's dangerous. By the end of the movie, we should have sympathy for Nicholas Cage. There's so many ways they could have done this a whole lot better. Um... Uh, I, I just think that they, they we did not have the the cattle on board. That the writer and director are obviously B B movie caliber, mm -hmm. at least at this stage of their careers, mm -hmm. and uh, somehow they got their hands on some pretty decent stars. Yeah, uh, maybe it was filmed during the pandemic. You know, when these guys were desperate for work, they couldn't go overseas. Um, mm -hmm. I I don't know what it is, but I was very disappointed by this film, and I would recommend anyone who had read a positive review of it to treat those reviews with a healthy degree mm. of skepticism because they are very, very wrong. Um, yeah. It's pretty average stuff. And as, as just the, just an extra side note, I'm sorry, but the, the sympathy, sympathy for as a movie title, you have to bring your A game because of Chadwick Park's, sympathy for lady vengeance sympathy for he, he he did a whole thing about what they tried to do here and they did it infinitely better it's also a cool rolling stone song so yeah. you know it was a cool title for a movie and you're like yeah. it uh what a disappointment yeah from disappointment uh, from a sublime to a ridiculous show we... and <laughs> move on to our yeah. Uh, way back when movie, uh, which is not a disappointment in any way, shape, or form, unless you count Joe Blow copying our homework yet again. Yes. Uh, last week and making it a uh, best film you've never seen a video about mm -hmm. Fortress. Yep. From 1992 uh, slash 93. I think it might have come out in the end, hence why it popped up last week. But mm -hmm. last show, had you seen this before? Yes, I had. This was one of the first like gruesome 90s action movies that I have memory of watching alongside things like Robocop and Predator and Universal Soldier. Wow. 
It's a quality selection there. Uh, so <laughs> Fortress, uh, in the future, in a future private uh, underground fortress slash prison, the inmates are computer controlled with CCTV, dream readers, and devices that cause pain or death. John and his illegally pregnant wife are inside but want to escape before birth. That's actually a terrible synopsis. Um, it's directed by Stuart Gordon, uh, who was famous for writing uh, Reanimator, which is a, oh. a B-grade schlock horror classic. Yeah. Writers, Troy Neighbors, Stephen Feinberg, David Venables, people I'm not familiar with. Our stars, uh, the great, that can be only one, Christopher Lambert as John Brennick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great 90s action film name, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Laurie Lachlan, uh, Lauren Lachlan as his wife, Karen. Kurtwood Smith in a fantastic performance as prison director Poe. Mm-hmm. And I'll give it to the Joe Blow video this last week, which is actually worth watching, by the way. Yeah. Um, they make an interesting point that right these days, Kurtwood Smith, everybody thinks of him as the dad from that 70s show. I'll break my foot off in your ass. And um, that back in 1992, he was the bad guy from Robocop, you know, bitches leave, you know, like that was like, and now he's sort of become his lovable, you know, character. And you're like, Oh no, he was, he was a badass back then. Uh, Clifton yeah. Collins Jr. Uh, and Vernon uh, <laughs> Wells, of course, from the Mad Max films makes a brief appearance as well for the Australians at home. There is also a cameo by Warwick Kappa. Um, in one of the scenes, which for some reason doesn't make a trivia of his film, but it should. Uh, <laughs> those who okay. don't know who that is, Warwick Kappa was a champion, f- very flamboyant champion footballer of the 1980s and early 90s okay. who uh, tried to uh, make a transition uh, from being a footballer into being a- an actor, musician, stripper, you name it. He's probably tried it. Um there's a whole story there, but we won't go into that one. He's in one scene at the front of a, a crowd of prisoners. Um, I, like you, I remember seeing this and watching this on video at my friend's yeah. place in about 1993 or 94 and just being like, this film's so cool. Um, and I, I like the sort of dystopian future setting that we start with of, you know, the one child policy and then trying to cre- escape to Canada and, yeah, hide her pregnancy and stuff. You're like, well, Americans trying to escape a dystopian United States into Canada. You know, this is like the Simpsons have predicted the future. Uh, I'm kind of curious as to why they would be stopping people from leaving, though. Is it like you sure? You, I mean, I guess it's maybe um kind of a Cold Warry kind of thing. You know, like back in those days, you're like you always just look at it in hindsight. You're like. Why the fuck did the communist block if people wanted to go live in the West? Well, it was a bad look, you know? Um, so maybe that was it. But also, so the movie could happen is why they wanted to stop them. Damn my brain. <laughs> so uh, Lauren uh, is caught uh, with, uh, being pregnant for a second time. They lost their first child. Yeah. So despite that, they're not allowed to have another one. Um, it seems like quite a severe pr- punishment for having a second child, but uh, Christopher Lambert, who is a former special forces soldier yes. of some description, he, is he has sent, a certain set of skills, certain say. set of skills, as they always do in these films. Yeah. He is sent Hoover Fortress, which is a high tech underground prison, uh, where he has starts out, um, dancing with uh, 
Werner Wells in a hell of a fight, which is actually a really cool fight scene. It's pretty um, good, isn't it? I think a lot of the fight scene is, scenes in this film are actually pretty good. And, you know, it made me think to myself, there aren't, I say this a lot, the films of some of the elements of this aren't made often anymore, if you think about it. Like, I don't know what the rating was in this in the US when it came out or Australia. Um, I could look that up, but like, I would have guessed it would be pushing an R rate, MP, an R rating in the US. Yeah. So R rated films are rare because obviously they can be seen by less people and hence make less money. But mm-hmm. for a straight action film to be this gruesome and mm-hmm. this violent, I feel like that's kind of gone by the wayside. What do you think? I agree with you. And I think that this, this has got another element of lost to the sands of time. Good old fashioned, just untrained fighters. Everything's all about martial arts and trained fighters. That's, I'm bored with that. I want two people who don't know how to fight and they just throw wild haymakers and just kicking each other in the balls because they just want to get the fight over. This is the dirty fight. And that's what these fights are. They're good, dirty fights. And it feels a bit more believable in that regard. And it does, yeah. That's what I mean about that fight scene between yeah. Vernon Wells and uh, Vernon Wells uh, and his offsider are uh, terrorizing and yeah, trying to take advantage of um, the character played by Clifton Collins. And because yeah. he's a decent man, John Brennick steps in to defend him and yeah. uh, has this incredible fight scene with with them. But as you say. It, it feels brutal. It almost feels close enough to real in the yeah. sense that he's not a John Wickian type of character who's got all the counters and, you know, you know or like a, uh, you know, Neo from the Matrix. He's another Keanu character or, yeah. you know, like uh, well, even Tom you know, Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise in the Mission Even Hunt, you know. You know, yeah. Uh, it's, it doesn't feel choreographed. It, and I feel like so many fight scenes are both bloodless and choreographed these days i I, this had an r rating in australia by the way so i don't know what i was doing seeing this from the video store there was obviously some sort of uh, we uh we called we pulled the shifty to get this one across the line apparently Mm -hmm. uh, because i was definitely not 18 Mm -hmm. um but they they, they are a lot less violent or they're choreographed now and they feel fake yeah it feels like a fake fight and uh, i mean i know you really enjoyed the last john wick film it felt so bloodless to me. I would like to see an R-rated John Wick. I don't know if it was R-rated. Yeah. I feel like it wasn't because it wasn't. No. It's violent, but it feels no impact of the violence. If that makes sense. Well, just look at the cars. They're bouncy. So no. nothing. The car. Well, the car. We're not going to go. We're not going to try and relitigate that one. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed that. And this about this film, the fight scenes felt visceral, mm-hmm. real. You make a good point. They feel un unchoreographed, like people who don't know how to fight, and they're mm. bloody. And that you know, mm. uh, the violence has stakes. Uh, to where this the the prisoners in this prison have things inserted in their mouths called an intestinator. Um, which, <laughs> Such a good name. Uh, and they can cause them pain to stop them doing what they're doing or in in certain circumstances it can explode and kill them which you know is a bit of a nod and a wink from the filmmakers to escape from new york i think but if you're going to rip off someone rip off the best well you've got there there was like like a a string of we're going to have inconvenient 
explosives planted on you to keep you under control. There's this. There's Escape from New York. And there was the running man with those shock collars that just make them go and blow up their heads if they go beyond the perimeter breach. Uh, yeah, so if, uh, <laughs> like the uh, computer and testinate them. Oh, I enjoyed that. Um, just to be clear, John Wick 4 was an MA15 in Australia, so it is a different level of violence in this film. Yeah. Um, the let's, let's talk a little bit because because we've we've talked a little bit about the the build up of the one child policy, which is an uh, I remember vaguely hearing about that and the the legend of the one child policy in China and how it was the pop, uh, their extreme radical way of maintaining their population growth. Okay. And then this movie came out using that as a bit of a, a launching point for them. That's interesting. Okay. I, I kind of like that. The underground um, prison, it, it, everything kind of comes together. So like, oh, I kind of like that as an idea. And then we get Kurtwood's character and what they do with these illegal babies and how they mutate them and morph them and trying to evolve them into something else and then it then they go maybe maybe it's maybe they go too far with what the leftovers that become the super soldiery things that don't really seem very super yeah they're pretty easily taken care of Uh, it is an interesting idea of the idea of a private prison then basically the children born in that prison becoming the property of the corporation the mentel corporation the mental corporation thank you not very okay um it's and and it probably speaks a little bit of a paranoia at the time of maybe the idea of private prisons are a bit new Mm -hmm. at the time i i I suspect maybe they were and you know all those fees were proven correct because they are yeah. shit. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they quite claim ownership of children, but you know, give them time. Um, <laughs> it, it, the escape, uh, the the escape plot is is interesting and fascinating. I really enjoyed actually uh, the role of uh, the guy for glasses. Is it? Uh, oh, is uh, it? Jeffrey Coombs character. Jeffrey Coombs, yeah. uh, who I think is. Star of the reanimated films, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I think so. Um, and also a regular in Deep Space Nine. So, yep. up to you. Popped up in the Frighteners as well. Of course, he did. We forget that. No, I'd like to see Peter Jackson go back to making horror films. By the way, get away from these highfalutin stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but he uh, is uh, is is actually really cool in the role as kind of the D Day. Is his character's name? He's the uh, kind of techno geek of the. Uh, of yeah. a group of who uh, manages to figure out how using the uh, crystal thing that gets stolen from the Kurtwood Smith, they get a they get a map of a prison and figure out how to escape, yeah. um, and how to remove their intestines so they can you know fight back against the evil corporation who are holding them prisoner. Uh, the initially John feels that Karen escaped the, the mm-hmm. prison, uh, the 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 police on the border. He yeah. finds out later, but no, she's in prison with him. He just Makes him that more determined, much more determined to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the escape sequence is pretty well done. I kind of like the the computers going offline and going crazy, and the uh, the prisoners in the uh, the elevator all trying to get out in the elevator, and the elevator dropping, and people trying to jump over bridges and falling off and stuff. It was 
it was fun. It was chaotic. It was it, it it felt quite good. And I I always I loved in each each time that they did it. They just said random intestination, and it's like that idea of just controlling everyone because like one person mistakes and just random lottery pain. That's cool. Kind of a cool concept to have in a sci-fi prison as well. And does make him look like a serious asshole, which is what you want. Because he, he's, yeah, you would. He's he's a psychopath. Like just the the, the way that he manipulates Brennick's wife, and it's it's just cringy and horrible, and you hate him. <laughs> it, it is a bit cheesy though. Like he's eventually revealed to be kind of a robot of some description, or like a cyborg is yeah. enhanced. Um, how enhanced and how much man is still left? He's now more machine than man. Uh, <laughs> I, I he's never quite revealed, but the idea that he just happens to fall in love with Brennick's wife and wants her to move in with him is it's a bit random, but the movie needs to happen, so yes, <laughs> it's a plot device. Um, it did, but if I if there's a word that describes this film, it is fun, yes, it is just fun. I mean, it is stupid. It makes it is fun. Like the um, the final sequence with the truck, which apparently is edited out of certain editions of the film. Yeah. Yep. They escape from the prison in a like a prime mover truck thing, yep. but it's actually got cameras and robotics inside, so it's still controlled by the uh, the prison, you know, uh, computer. Yes. Mind you, I move ten meters away from my phone, and my Bluetooth headphones go, "Nah, fuck off." Like, you know, but this thing's like 600Ks away from the fucking computer. But their Bluetooth's still connected. How do I get that Bluetooth on my headset? Not only that. They went, they went to Mexico. They got across the border. <laughs> anyway, wow. the computer takes over the tank again at a very convenient point in time when uh, Karen's about to give birth mm-hmm. um, uh, and kills... Clifton Collins, uh, his character, I forget the exact, the actual character's name, Nino, Nino, um, kills him, runs him over, tries to kill Karen, and uh, Christopher Lambert is forced to dispatch it with a mich- flamethrower yep. in the end, uh, which he does effectively. Yep. Um, uh, you know what? It, it's ridiculous. But, you know, they had earned that ridiculous ending by being ridiculous from the start and yes. doing it with a completely straight face. Yes. Um, and, and why anybody would edit that ending out, I'm very sad to hear it was Australia that edited it out because that because ending is great. Australia likes to, you know, ruin things for people. Well, I, I'm thinking of a film like the, the Descent. If you haven't seen it, it's terrifying. But in America, mm-hmm. they edited out the actual ending, which is quite dark. Yeah. At a you look at it, if you leave it at a certain point, it's quite a quite an uplifting ending. But that's why it was edited that way in the US. But yep. I've never heard of it happening here before. Well, I mean, the Australia board, you know, famously um, deleted out whole chunks of the South Park video game, and just so they replaced it with a crying koala. That was that was telling someone about that the other day. That was actually one of the highlights of the game for me. <laughs> uh, I was very glad that the wheel sent us back to Fortress. I I enjoyed yeah. this immensely, and you know, if there was a way we could bring these type of films back, this was made for fifteen million dollars. Yeah. Um, which was not a huge budget at the time. Um, no, but it made 48. 48 million. to make a sequel. Yeah. 
but, but I think it found a big audience on on VHS. But yeah, maybe that's the thing these days is you, you can't find a, an audience on DVD or VHS. So the chances are so much lower because you know you're gonna this is gonna go straight to streaming probably. Yeah, you made a film like this today with you know a big great action star of a likes of no, not Lambert, but you know someone of his ilk today who I can't think of off Jason's of my head, something like that. Yeah, and it's gonna end up on Tubi or something, right, or Crackle because yeah. it's. Yeah. If you if you're not lucky and it doesn't land on one of the big streamers, um, and how are you making your money back there, right? Like yeah. it's it's you're just not. it's maybe it's the nature of a beast these days. Yeah. <sighs> Shall we uh, spin the wheel? Spin the wheel, yes. And find yes. out the what wheel. year we are going back in time to this week. So the wheel is spinning, and spinning. We've got some interesting choices this week, mm-hmm. and. Okay, we are going back a very, very long way. Oh, no. Um, okay. We are going to be watching the 1973 retroactive action movie, The Doll Squad. The Doll Squad. If I didn't think we get copyright struck yet again, I would share the trailer. Um, a squad of beautiful government agents tries to catch it. Saboteurs. Uh, it is available in its entirety on YouTube. So, um, that is something to look forward to. The Doll Squad. Okay. Wow. Oh, this, this looks... Before Charlie's Angels, there was the Doll Squad. Oh, come on. We got to do this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll risk, we'll roll with us. Hang on a second. I'll do that again. Make sure I hit the uh, sound button. Yep, cool. Okay. So we is that for those who are listening to the podcast, maybe you can listen to this or maybe watch it on YouTube yourself. Oh, I re- I spelled that wrong. Oh. oh, where's the sound? Why is there no sound? Oh, I've lost Travis's sound too. Oh boy, I think this this is a good way of avoiding copyright strike. <laughs> There's uh, this has got to have been like inspiration for Tarantino's Fox Force Five. Oh, this this is oh. Travis can't hear me. Interesting. Well, hopefully you guys can hear me, but the trailer must be ending soon. <laughs> oh no, this looks really bad. <laughs> There's women at gunpoint in very permed hair and one onesies. Maybe oh, oh beach combat. We know it. Francine York, Herb Robbins, Anthony Eelsey, I Eilie, John Carter of Mars, Tourist Satana. 
William Baghdad, Michael and Sarah. And special guest, Lisa Todd and Karate. Wow, this, whew, this is, um, yep. Wow, those, those unitards are impressive. Can you hear me again, Trap? I'm guessing you can't hear me. Hmm. All right. Well, ah, there we go. I can hear you. Okay, I got you now. Right. Cool. That, that was an awkward two and a half minutes of silence. Me doing commentary. Sorry about that, people. For some reason, the sound went out in my headphones there, but. I encourage everyone to look up uh, the Doll Squad trailer on YouTube. Uh, looks like a blast. Um, I was I was saying it looks like that could very well have been some of the inspiration for Fox Force Five. I would not be surprised for a second. Yeah. Um, uh, it looks like trash, but uh, is this the a trivia on IMDb says Aaron Spelling got the idea for Charlie's Angels after attending the premiere of this film. Wow. Okay. So this predates Charlie's Angels. It's not, not yeah. Not. Well, the, the posters for it said before Charlie's Angels, there was the Doll Squad. Uh, Quentin Tarantino has said this film was a strong influence for the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad. So it looks like the kind of thing he would enjoy. But anyway, that is next week, or next fortnight. Mm -hmm. If you feel like watching, it's there. It's on YouTube. I did not post it. I am not violating copyrights. Nope. <laughs> else did that one. Um, so that is uh that is the way back when I just to be honest with everybody, I had trouble finding films that were released this week in 1973 that anyone would find or had heard of. So it is more of a generic film released in 1973, but specifically around this time that year. So we do our best given the uh time difference, yeah. So many years ago. Unbelievable. Now have you got fodder for binge browse burns sir? i do um i have to have a conversation with michelle i go what have you been watching the last couple weeks like yeah <laughs> it's like oh it's all blurred into one i don't know what it is there was there's that thing with us i watch a lot of youtube yeah because youtube is not affected by the writer's strike um yeah, which is finally sounds like it might be over, which is yeah, after 148 days. But the actors are still out, so you know, yeah, at least it means is um, you know, uh, you know, you're, all, you're I'm a big fan of John Oliver type shows, Michelle loves Saturday Night Live, so mm. I don't give us something to watch. But what did come out recently, uh, the mm. new season of The Morning Show? Ah, yes, the uh, on the uh, Apple TV. On Apple TV, the Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston uh, uh, TV called, uh, uh, production uh, is hmm. the third season. Um, season two kind of dealt largely, I think, with a pandemic from memory. 
Uh, there was a lot of the Me Too movement or something because Steve Carell's character was that really occupied season one. Oh, okay. Um, that kind of really reflected the Me Too movement and the kind of you know the those sort of guys, especially a lot of the news guys who got busted doing that crazy shit. Uh, that does carry over to a degree in a season two, and that Steve Carell is still in the show in season two. Mm. Um, spoilers: he dies in season two. Um, but um, yeah, you know, it's been out for a year and a half or something, so you know I'm not to be blamed for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> this season we look like we're moving into uh, things like hacking and uh, that that okay. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the main. We're only three episodes. I only have seen the first three episodes of this season uh, i don't know season four might have been released by now actually so that's kind of cool uh it's a slow start to this season episode one just kind of meanders along uh, into episode two before it really starts to get to the point mm-hmm. um there is some elon musk criticism in here the, sh- the season starts with um uh, billy crudup and jennifer aniston's characters going into space on a billionaire's rocket could that possibly be referencing um uh take your pick of the billionaires um why season end of season sorry end of episode two it's mm. really starting to crack on with uh its story in this season and ep- season sorry episode three yeah continues that on uh, it's dealing with some racial issues as well so this is a one of those sort of not quite ripped from the headlines type shows mm. but it's it just does turn, tend to try and reflect the the issues of the day Okay. Um, and so, look if you if you liked season one and two, mm-hmm. I think it's well worth picking up season three for a look if you hadn't seen the morning show before. Um, I would recommend going back to season one, starting season one was fantastic. Season two, not quite as good, mm. but still pretty good. So I would rate the morning show. I would put this in the binge category because okay. if it were all, if it were all available, it would have been binged. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting, interesting choice. All right, I am going to stick with Apple TV as well because I'm slowly but surely making my way, making my way through just finished season one of Invasion. And the new season is currently showing, and it's a week by week thing. Earth is visited by an alien species that threatens humanity's existence. Events unfold in real time through the eyes of five ordinary people across the globe as they struggle to make sense of the chaos unraveling around them. So far, so normal. And that is pretty much a good um, descriptor for the show. It is created or co-created by the man who proves failing upwards, Simon Kimberg. Yes. Um, the man behind the death of the X-Men movies. Um, it's largely a paint-by-numbers kind of thing. In the first episode, we've got our big name of Sam Neill, um, but he is swiftly dispatched. And we end up coming with other actors that I certainly have not known any of their work the only other known person in there for me is another character who uh, seems to die pretty quickly and that's rinku kokichu who was uh she played bam bam in um the brothers bloom she was also in um uh pacific rim as well and babel so she's 
gotten around, but she doesn't really have much screen time in this beyond the stereotypical lots of videos of my lover who has gone away. Um, it's a pop, it's a slow burn story. And after one season, you still don't really know what's going on. I've got my theories and so far, every single one of them has been generally proven right. Um, but this is my superpower. This is my blessing and my curse. I do these things so you don't have to. It's quite well produced. The performances are quite good. There are a number of things in it where you just, wait a minute. Why, why has that happened? Oh, because reasons. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is, there are some elements of kind of hack story and they're trying to be nuance they they you can see everyone involved trying and that's half the problem doesn't feel natural it doesn't feel flowing the synopsis that i said it says events unfold in real time through the eyes of five ordinary people that is not true it's not real time that suggests to me something along the lines of 24 where it's like you yes the scene may change but it's following on but that's not what's happening here ladies and gentlemen i have no clue how long it is from the start of the movie uh, start of the tv show to the end of season one i don't know how much time has elapsed there because it seems like people can have dungeons and dragons style where they can do a long rest and whoop, you get new day new day new day elsewhere <laughs> new <laughs> and it's 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 fine it's good there, it's perfectly fine browse-worthy stuff. It doesn't do anything bad. It's not offended my sensibilities in any way. It just hasn't also kicked it up a gear to go, all right, we've set the world. We've introduced these characters, which they've not done a great job of introducing. But there's enough little nuggets of storyline going through that you kind of go, okay. I'm, I'm still interested. I'm still interested. One season's down. How have I not been given more information yet? So, so it sounds fun. like a putting this maybe in the browse category. It is definitely browse. A hundred percent browse. Even if it was like season one is all out, but I don't want to watch it all in one go because long episodes and slow. Even the action sequences that there aren't lots of are not very well filmed and they're not very engaging but um the concept that's going on and if they play with things the way that i believe that they are going to could result in something a little bit different to your typical alien invasion story well, but that would be nice i keep on reminding myself simon kimberg i'm gonna give simon a slight Pat in the back here. Now, as a director, he has been catastrophically bad. Yes. Dark Phoenix, the 355, and the two feature films he's directed. Mm. They were not good, as no. you sort of noted. He tended to kind of kill off the whole Fox X-Men universe. Mm -hmm. But he did write the screenplay for some decent films, including uh, Days of Future Past, the first Sherlock Holmes film with Robert Downey Jr., uh, the Last Stand, the X-Men film, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people liked that. Mm -hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, a lot of people liked that. Mm -hmm. um, very successful. 
he wrote and created the Star Wars Rebels TV series, which I have never seen and have no intention of seeing. No. But I think a lot of people liked him. Uh, it was very successful. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, by Star Wars, Disney Star Wars standards anyway. <laughs> so maybe he's a Zack Snyder type character in the sense that good at ideas, good writer. Yeah. But needs a firm hand in terms of a very talented director. Mm. But anyway, that's that's Simon. If you're out there and you're listening, I'm open to job opportunities. <laughs> yeah. I I also wonder about the success of Star Wars Rebels. That generally seems to be credited more to Dave Filoni than um, than other people. But then I wasn't there. I just know that people like it. I don't know why. It's yeah. the kids show, but um Well, you know, if you you know you got to the final season of that one and you want more, watch a soaker. <laughs> and yeah, well, I mean, that's it. Now you have to do your homework for Star Wars as well. Yep, you definitely do. You definitely do. I'll tell you something that I, I feel it's been a while since there was a Marvel movie, hasn't there? It has been a little bit. They've kind of taken their foot off the pedal a little bit. Back in yeah. when did um, Guardians three come out? I can't remember. It was like April or May or something. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And we haven't got the uh, Loki comes out next month, I think. Maybe. But we do. We are every day brings us closer to the Marvels. Ooh. <laughs> uh, which you know. Could have chosen a worse time to drop one of their least successful characters. May fifth, May fifth, by the way, was May. So yeah. we are what four, five coming up on five months since that, um, which is probably what you should be kind of get. You should be doing for your yes things, you know, your films to come out. But that's not what we're used to. Um, interesting time for the Marvels to be coming out when I'm not sure. Who's looking forward to this? I, yeah, I, I, I don't really see people hankering for the next Captain Marvel movie, but... In fairness, even if it weren't Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel, who was in the kids' TV show, um, but a lot of people really liked the TV show. I don't know. Um, but even if it weren't some of their lesser characters who've been done pretty questionably up to this point in time, I just don't I think a lot of people are kind of past done with Marvel right now. I think they they really need to go down to all the mirrors and have a good hard look at themselves mm-hmm. um, and figure out what they do next because I think they're they're losing people. Absolutely, Disney is very guilty of that at this stage. They've um, run Star Wars into the ground in many ways. They've run Marvel into the ground in many ways purely because they have just pumped so much content and not being gatekeepers of quality. Uh, exactly. It, uh, the the um, Nick Fury show was the lowest rated, apparent lowest, least watched Marvel show of all time. No mm-hmm. one liked it. It was, it's, it's, uh, something's got to change down there, I think. Now, my, I have, oh, yes, go for it. Second one is, uh, I was on my pile of shame for a long time. That is the, we have been working our way through the final season of Better Call Saul. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I watched up until the mid season break initially mm-hmm. when it came out I, and there was a second half of it mm-hmm. it came out several months later and I, for some reason i missed that huh. um and so we are not quite finished yet we've got two mm-hmm. episodes to go but i wanted to mention it just in case anybody was like me and they just gave it a miss or never got around to it 
and say, do watch the final season, though. It's a weird one. Okay. In the sense that they set up the setup for the second last season was with his character, Lalo Salamanca, who is this incredibly capable, vicious, and charming, a deadly um, member of the Salamanca family who mm-hmm. blames uh, 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 Gus Frink for, uh, you know, uh, attempting to kill him and for killing, uh, for trying to kill uh, his uh, uncle um, and does not want, he's sort of been trying to hunt down evidence so he can prove to the Dons that he's working against them and kill him. Um, at the same time, uh, Saul has to represent him at one point in time and gets into some hijinks with, with Lalo. And so you know that they're going to come back together again as in uh, Saul's going to get caught in the middle of that meat grinder between Lalo and Gus Frank. And mm. Lalo is one of the best characters they've created in this show, and they've created a lot of great characters. Mm. Um, but that all kind of builds up and builds up and is in the traditional Vince Gilligan style mm. of uh, turning the pressure up and turning the pressure up where you, it's a, you're edge of your seat stuff. It okay. resolves at the mid-season finale. Okay. That... that antagonist who they've set up at that situation comes to a conclusion and so then you're kind of going what are they going to do for the rest of the season um the rest of the season kind of jumps forward to Saul uh all the way through the series we have little snippets of Saul's life post Breaking Bad um uh the the second half of the last season deals probably 70 80 90 percent of those episodes uh, dealing with Saul in his post-Breaking Bad life, uh, which is shot in black and white, which is an interesting way of telling what you're looking at. Am I looking at pre-Breaking Bad or post-Breaking mm. Bad, color pre-post-black and white? Mm. Uh, it's not bad, per se, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you know, uh, El Camino was interesting to watch because that was what happened to Jesse after Breaking Bad. Mm. And this is what happened to Saul after Breaking Bad. It's just eh, not as compelling as the stuff that was happening in the first half of a season. Do you well, think not needed? Sorry, did it needed to be compelling? I mean, do you think it is that this um, kind of coda is needed? Or could you have done without it? Probably. But the only reason this coda is needed is the show sets up one angle which you're kind of what for you're kind of what thinking about the whole way through the series is we have uh uh Saul's friend girlfriend slash wife later Kim Wexler played by Rhea Seaborn who's fantastic in this series and she is just, again Vince Gilliam just pulls these fucking incredible characters out of his ass um and he, so you've really built an emotional connection to Kim by the 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 this point in the season and you kind of find she's not in breaking bad mm. so the question is does she die? Does she survive? So that's the coda. The coda is there. But really, the only open question in the coda is what happens to Kim? Okay. Um, and we've had an answer to that three episodes before the end. Huh. So they've kind of, in a sense, that we know her fate. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're like, oh, okay. That's interesting. I thought you might wait till the last episode for that. Um, But no, uh, they haven't. So look, I mean, a lot of people have said the ending was very good. So we've got two episodes to go. We'll get there in the end. And I will report back once we finally find out if they stuck the landing. I'm just saying that it's a very strange final season. Hmm. 
There is okay. a sugar hit though. There is, I'll, I'll look, and I don't think it's a huge secret now, but there is a cameo from from Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul as Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. And what a it's an incredible sugar rush seeing these two characters on screen again. And you just suddenly go, oh, that's what the show was about. They had the most incredible chemistry together, those two. Uh, well, and just, they were selling on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> just five minutes of M again at the end was the, not even at the end. Five minutes of M back playing those characters again was like, oh, what a joy. But mm. that, was, that makes makes it worth watching. But the rest of it, it's odd. It's in the soft binge category for now, just because. I've watched six seasons. I need to know what happens at the end. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. My last one is another soft binge, and it is the final season of Sex Education on Netflix. This one, they've had four seasons, um, and it's been wonderful, effervescent, daydream-like stories of high school in its English but it's not quite English. It's Americanized English school system of awkward people growing up, being obsessed with sex and being obsessed with life and relationships and difference. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's honest. It is wonderfully um, LGBTQI appropriate in um, its acceptance of everyone and presentation of people. They are wonderful, delightful characters. And season one knocked it out of the park for me. Season two was strong. Season three was good. Season four, it's the denouement. It's the end. And it's sad to see it come. But at the same time, it's time for it to go, especially considering after watching Sex Education Season 4, you suddenly go, wait a minute, half of that cast was in the Barbie movie. <laughs> you had Emma Mackey, who played one of the Barbies. You had um, Michutu Gatwa, who was one of the Kens, and he is going to be the new Doctor Who after this David Tennant revisit thing that's going on. And um, Connor Swindells was the um, assistant who was running around with Will Ferrell for the, uh, for Mattel during the movie. So I was kind of like, ah, I know all of those people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I knew them before Barbie. Um, Asa Butterfield is still solid as Otis Milburn. Julian Anderson is just a fucking treasure that it just is continuing to get better and better with age and she her character of jean milburn has gone from this wonderful very sex positive sex therapist almost hippie kind of mom who just wants to be a good mom to in this episode she's dealing with postpartum depression and a relationship with her um, sister who's come back and struggling to be a full-time mom and still wanting to have more than that in her life. And she is just absolutely fucking glorious in this role. This was a this was a perfect person to portray a brilliantly written character across all four seasons. True delight. Absolutely wonderful. I cannot wait to see what Gillian Anderson does next because she just keeps on going from strength to strength. Wonderful. 
I had heard some people criticize him in new season as being a bit of a letdown compared to the previous ones. I will I will pay that compared to the previous ones, yes. And it is very much a wind down. One of the disappointments for me is the uh, the Maeve Wiley side of the story. The end of season three, she gets this um, internship in a very prestigious writing college in America where she goes off, just as her and Otis have kind of admitted and had their first true kiss together. And we pick up from there and we have um, basically a cameo by... Um, what is what's his face um he was um eugene levy's son um jason biggs huh not american pie no um no uh, real eugene levy's real son and they were in uh schitt's creek together um he played david in that and he um he portrays mave's teacher He's, he's a dick. He's an asshole. He's not a good tutor because he doesn't know how to fucking talk to students. He doesn't know how to engage with them. And it just seems like he's being very selfish and self-centered all the time. It's like, okay, I don't really see why they have created this character because it's, it's, it's not really driving Maeve. Other things drive, pull her back rather than drive her on. And there's a big difference on that energy. Um, so that was a disappointment. But apart from that, overall, it's good. Um, there's uh, there's definitely that element of, okay, we want to also get everyone to a happy or happy-ish ending. And yes, the puns of the jokes are intentional ladies and gentlemen this is a show called sex education i did say it's nice to see them come and happy endings thank you very much i'm here all night <laughs> um i'm glad that this has ended i would have been happy for it to end at the end of season three this wasn't a disappointment it hasn't come back for one final round and shat on everything that it had the actors are still solid in their performances and the characters have continued to develop nicely. And the actors get an opportunity to really show some good stuff. The only person who doesn't really get a chance to break out and do something different is Asa Butterfield as Otis, because so much of the show hinges on his awkwardness. He, he's not really allowed to be much more than that because of his role as kind of a cog in the center for everything else all the other interesting things to happen he is he is important for every for the, each story to persist but he's you know no one's interested in the cog everyone's interested in what comes out the other end um it's a soft uh, soft binge it's still good I still recommend that anyone should at least try season one because it's charmingly awkward, funny, and heartfelt. And there are scenarios where you just, you feel for these kids and you you feel for it in so many delightful ways. There's moments of just pure elation and joy and absurdity and honest, heartfelt fun. It's really well done coming of age. I, I appreciate it. So it sounds like from a fan's perspective, they've stuck the landing. 
overall they've stuck the landing yeah it's no no finale is ever gonna fully satisfy and be the best because it's just not how it is you get the come down and that's that's what this is it's kind of the come down after after the the load hits and the way that season three ended was jackson pollocking all over the walls <laughs> and this is the cleanup and the come down that's what that's what it is but it's good good stuff there's one for fans yeah yeah i think that brings us to the end it does yeah I will just quickly throw out one little grenade. There's been a little bit of talk um, online for negative conversations around Martin Short and Steve Martin recently. And that inspired me to go back to a little forgotten gem, a little forgotten gem, little one, Inner Space, ladies and gentlemen. Classic. Great movie. If you get the chance, watch it. It's on Apple TV watch it it's great fun martin short is hilarious and dennis quaid it socially his relationship and the way that he is as a drunken womanizer for the big portion of it not appropriate anymore for sure mm -hmm. like ryan is lovely in it but it just goes absurd by the end of it and it's it's just fun martin short is brilliant in it honestly worth the price of admission one of my favorites as a kid yeah but that Brings us to the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about our chain movie of the week, which was Lincoln by Steven Spielberg. We talked about Sympathy for the Devil with Nicolas Cage and Joel Kinnaman. And this time, so many years ago, in the Wayback Machine, we went to a great, long-lost action style fortress. Next week, uh, not next week, sorry, the week after, we will be talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi as well as the doll squad as our Wayback machine movie and we will have a new or a new a newer movie to talk about i am saying right now ladies and gentlemen it is not going to be us talking about spy kids armageddon i watched the first five minutes of it and already that was more than enough and i am really disappointed in Rob rodriguez so it'll be something else i have a couple of suggestions that i will tune in next time to find out next time but on that note ladies and gentlemen thank you so much it's been a delight as always hanging out with my friend and with you until next time good night good night